Encore episode. PBMs react to GoodRx, Mark Cuban, and Amazon Pharmacy. Today, I speak with G. Bai. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. This show was one of the most popular episodes in the past 12 months. So here it is again for your listening pleasure. Mostly this whole episode is about the so-called big three PBMs that provide between the three of them, pharmacy benefit services for like 95% of insured Americans. PBM stands for pharmacy benefit manager and the big three PBMs being ESI, otherwise known as Express Scripts, Optum RX, which is a part, a big profitable part of United Health Group and then also CVS. Yes, CVS is not just for your retail pharmacy needs. They are also a huge pharmacy benefit manager. Now, we get to the GoodRx part of our story. If you don't know how GoodRx works, I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to An Expert Explains with Dr. G. Bai from last year. That's AEE13. That said, here's the super short, semi-reductive version to keep us all level set here. If you already know how GoodRx works, you can skip forward about four minutes. So first of all, let's all understand that GoodRx's business model only exists because the pharmacy supply chain dominated by these three big PBMs that we just talked about is such a cluster. GoodRx profits from that dysfunction. So as I said, here's the short version of how they do that. It all hinges on so-called spread pricing. And this is what I mean by that. Patient goes into pharmacy with a prescription for generic drug X. The patient has insurance. Good news. Pharmacist checks the computer and sees that this patient should be charged, I don't know, 50 bucks for drug X. The patient's insurance carrier picks up, say, 30 bucks of the $50 cost and the patient is left with, say, a copay of $20. Who did that little math there in the computer? The PBM, the pharmacy benefit manager, did that math. That's their thing, these PBMs. They adjudicate claims. That's what this math is called. Anybody who goes into a pharmacy with a prescription, it's the PBM on the back end who figures out how much the patient owes and how much their insurance will pay and what the patient responsibility is, etc. Goodness, you might say, how much are the PBMs being paid to perform this useful service? Turns out it's free. That's right. The big three PBMs do all this adjudication for free. No charge to plan sponsors. Isn't that nice? Except it's actually not free if you dig into it. The PBM is certainly getting paid by means of arbitrage. They're taking a little something-something out of the middle of every single transaction. Here's what that looks like in the example aforementioned. Recall, the patient's insurance paid 30 bucks and the patient themselves paid 20 bucks. The question is, how much did that drug cost the PBM? Remember, that's commerce. Buy low, sell high and all that. You buy something and then you sell it for more than you bought it for. Okay, so we're talking about a generic drug here. They're cheap, usually. So let's just say drug X costs, I don't know, five bucks. The PBM pays the pharmacy five bucks for that generic script. And you can see how much money the PBM just made right there. The patient and their plan sponsor got charged 50 bucks and the PBM's cost of goods was 
five bucks. Multiply that profit margin by the billions of generic prescriptions in this country that run through insurance, and you have a tidy little business model there. UHG, the parent company of OptumRx, made $24 billion in profit in 2021. Not all of that was from generic drug arbitrage, i.e. taking advantage of spread pricing, but some of it was. And $24 billion is an awfully big amount when you consider whose paychecks all those pennies were lifted from. PBM services are anything but free. PBMs are collecting massive windfalls in the so-called spread between what the patient and the plan pay and what the PBM is actually buying those drugs for. Here's another wrinkle. When a PBM contracts with a pharmacy, part of their contractual terms is that the pharmacy's list price for drugs cannot be lower than a certain amount, usually having something to do with the PBM's rates. So pharmacy list prices become artificially high as a result, meaning that cash pay patients who just wander into a pharmacy and try to pay cash pay an artificially high price. Into this mess, swoops, GoodRx, with a killer idea. They see all that money on the table that PBMs are cleaning up in that spread. They want a piece of that action. And in the beginning, PBMs were fully on board with this. They were fully on board because the market GoodRx was going after was the uninsured market, meaning untapped turf for PBMs. And because PBMs make so much money off of each transaction, PBMs are always hungry for more transactions. The big three PBMs anyway. They love more transactions. The more, more, more with the transactions, the more, more, more with the money. So GoodRx goes to the PBMs and says, hey, if a cash pay patient shows up in a pharmacy, what price would you charge them for you to adjudicate that claim? You know how much money you have to pay the pharmacy. So what can the patient price be? What spread are you willing to accept? GoodRx will take a little off the top, but you can keep your spread on this new frontier of patients that you haven't historically had access to because uninsured. Oh, by the way, we, GoodRx, we're going to go around to all your competitors too, just saying, the other two PBMs, and we're going to show their prices too in our GoodRx app at different pharmacies. So you're going to have to compete with other PBMs in this model. This is why GoodRx cash prices for generics are so very, very often less than what the patient will pay if they use their insurance. In the GoodRx app, PBMs have competition. So by not using their insurance, patients often pay less for generic drugs, which, by the way, are like 90 percent of the scripts written in this country. And also as an added bonus, patients don't have to jump through all the weird and arduous prior offs or step therapies or other hurdles that a PBM might toss in the mix. So from a patient perspective, using GoodRx could save money, save time, and you could get your drugs faster because you don't have to wait around for some prior off to go through. But this was not what PBMs had originally thought they were signing up for. They were working with GoodRx to gain new market share from the uninsured market, not lose market share to more and more patients foregoing their insurance, meaning foregoing shelling out to the PBM their spread on the transaction. Cue my conversation today with Dr. G. Bai. G. Bai, PhD, CPA, is a professor of accounting at Johns Hopkins Carey Business School and a professor of health policy and management at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Today, G. Bai and I discuss the reactions of the big three PBMs to consumers 
getting all consumery when it comes to buying their generic drugs. Despite the fact that in my interview with Dr. Sunita Desai, episode 334, she said that studies have shown that 67% of patients are unaware that they might be able to get a better price by not using their insurance and shopping around on GoodRx or Amazon or at a cost plus pharmacy like Blueberry in Pittsburgh or Mark Cuban's new thing. Despite that, it means 33%, one third of patients are aware that they can price shop and potentially get a better price not using their insurance on generic drugs. And apparently it's making some people at some PBMs nervous. Link in the show notes to the ESI Express Scripts blog post about their new prescription benefit that automatically applies discounts. Huh. Sounds like a defensive play to me, question mark. What do we make of this? That's my first question to Dr. G. by today. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. G. Bye. Welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you, Stacey. Great to be here. The beginning of 2022, Express Scripts put out a press release saying that what they're going to do is they're going to automatically apply available coupons. And I'm taking that to mean Amazon discounts to generic drugs for all of their members. Let me just make sure that I have this right here. <laughs> and if you could just probably explain a little bit better than I did what Express Scripts, EESI, is doing here. ESI's move is to counter the fact that ESI is losing pharmacy benefit business to cash pay discount card platforms like GoodRx. Before GoodRx came to the market, ESI's beneficiaries all had to use ESI to process their generic drug claims. So ESI makes money from the spread pricing, which simply means ESI buys low and sells high. You know, they get a higher reimbursement from the payers than how much they pay to pharmacies. So through this buy low, sell high, they make money from the spread pricing. So this is why, I mean, like, if you're sort of intuitively thinking about this and you didn't know anything about this industry, you would think that it would benefit the insurer that if someone doesn't use their benefits, that the person providing their benefits <laughs> would gain something from that. But basically what you're seeing is that every time someone uses their pharmacy benefits, the PBM in this case makes dollars. So by somebody not using their benefit, they're losing money. Exactly. And often the PBM and the insurance companies are two shops under one roof. So both have every incentive to keep consumers in their own benefit plan. If they lose consumers, then they lose money, lose the opportunity to make money, right? GoodX disrupted the ongoing game. The GoodX business model offers insured patients a lower cash price or so-called cash price. This cash price is often lower than the patient's out-of-pocket cost when the patient uses the insurance. So this offering enticed many insured patients away from their own PBM and their own health plan like ESI. ESI, of course, is not happy about this. And now they're using the Amazon discount card to prevent their own beneficiaries from migrating to places like GoodRx. And this works for them because if I'm not mistaken, Amazon is using ESI or a division of ESI to adjudicate their claims. Am I right about that? That's correct. 
So on the surface, they are asking the patients to use the Amazon discount card circumventing their own insurance. But in reality, the money still goes back to ESI. There's really no, not much difference. And if the patient does use Amazon adjudicated through ESI, do you have any sort of sense? I know that there's been a bunch of people who have done comparisons between the Amazon price versus the GoodRx price, and some of them are more and some of them are less, but that was a little bit ago when Amazon just first launched. Do you know of any comparator? Like, are Amazon prices comparable to GoodRx prices these days, or are they more or less? In theory, Amazon price would not be as favorable as GoodRx, simply because there's only one piece PBM operating with Amazon, that is inside RX, which is a subsidiary of Express Script. But on the other hand, look at GoodX. GoodX provides a platform for multiple PBMs to compete behind the scene. So whenever we have competition, we have better deals for consumers. And this generic drug space is no exception. So if you're thinking about a PBM's business model here, I mean, obviously PBMs make money a bunch of different ways. One of them is rebates on branded drugs. And then the other way is they take spread pricing on generic drugs. Do you have any sense of how much money they're making on both sides of the house? I mean, it it sounds like they're making enough on this generic spread pricing that this raised somebody's antenna over at a PBM. The branded name drug space received a lot of attention. We're talking about the high drug price, the Congress thinking about ways to tackle the problem. It seems to the public that the PBMs are not making a lot of money from generic drugs, and that is wrong. PBMs make significant amount money from the generic space, and that is mainly through the spread pricing that we just mentioned, buy low, sell high. So to believe uh, that PBMs don't make a lot of money from generics, then you won't really understand why the market is wide open for good acts and other platforms to enter. And they have been making so much money. Yeah, there is a show with Dr. Stephen Quimby, a recent episode where he actually gets into the dollars that are being made on the generic drug front. And although a lot of people pay less attention to them because they're not a huge chunk of any, let's just say, given plan sponsors budget, there's there's just so many generic drugs that even if they make less per unit, the quantity is so high that it winds up being a big chunk of change. I fully agree. Sunita Desai was on the program a couple of months ago. And one of the things that she said is that 67% of the people in this country are not aware of GoodRx. So what you're saying is even more profound, actually, because if you look at the balance of people, the minority, that that 33% who know GoodRx and are familiar with it, that 33% is causing ESI to react in this way. If you think about the trend line, I mean, I guess they're assuming that the 67% that don't know yet about GoodRx are are soon going to be enlightened. Is the impetus a present impetus or is the impetus a future fear? There is a impetus for future fear. GoodX phenomenon has a very profound implication, not just for the prescription drug space, but for our whole healthcare system. Let's say if everybody is using GoodX, then the traditional PBMs will be pushed to enter the fierce competition with other PBMs on GoodX platform. That will significantly cut ESS margin. 
in the old world, let's think about it. ESI only faces competition before they sign the contract with the health plan. Once the contract is signed, all beneficiaries have to go through the PBM for their generic drugs, and they're all captured. And then they bring profit to ESI through the spread pricing. So ESI just need to lay back, relax, and count the dollar as every prescription is being filled. Right in this new world, things are very different. There is no longer any captured beneficiary. If the patients understand how much they can save through GoodX or other platforms, then ESI has to fight for every single claim by offering lower cash price than any other competing PBMs. So life is no longer easy, and the money is much more difficult to make. Well, let me ask you a question about that, and maybe I know just enough to be dangerous. But you do have these plan sponsors who, a lot of times, are just so naive and so ignorant relative to what's going on. And, and I'm talking about large employers. I'm, I'm talking about the people that are actually paying the bill here. Certain states, for example, with their employee benefit plans. I mean, not others, but certainly there there are some who are completely naive here. If I'm a PBM, I mean, there's a couple of different ways I can make money in spread pricing. One of them is to charge the patient more at the pharmacy counter, but the other one is to pay the pharmacy less. Is a loophole here that they just start paying pharmacies? I mean, there's there's just so many pharmacies right now who are just struggling, especially independents, because the PBMs just decide to pay them less than the drug actually costs. And I'm laughing; it's so not funny. Could that trend accelerate? That the PBMs just start, you know, they they have to make their numbers, so they realize that the top line becomes a little bit fixed so that they just start subtracting from the bottom line and they just start paying pharmacies even less. In the drug space, as in anywhere, there's really no villain or no saint, in my opinion. Pharmacies can actually generate abnormally high profits and hurt patients' well-being financially. So I think to have strong PBMs does not mean necessarily bad things for patients. The market competition ensures the fittest will survive So I do not believe the competition will eventually kill all the pharmacies. It's only the pharmacies that can bring the best value at the lowest price that will be able to survive in this environment. And that is a good thing. Do you feel like this actually winds up reducing equity, which is something that a lot of the pharmacies do talk about, that they are serving low-income communities. There's healthcare deserts. They're the only the healthcare entity in town. And if they really get pushed to go out of business because they're trying to compete against Amazon or their these the DIR fees and the the spread, you know, just the 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 powerhouse that is the the PBMs in this country, that there is a negative consequence. That's a great question. That depends on what kind of alternatives to fill in the space if they're being squeezed out. Let's say the big chain store filled the, the space and provide the same or even lower price to the disadvantaged patients. Then I do not see consumers' welfare as being harmed in this case. Obviously, if we've got CVS pharmacies that are owned by the PBM, CVS, you've got Aetna running around, you know, obviously you've got this huge vertically integrated entity. And if they can figure out how to push out all the competition, you know, we all know what happens when there's... The fear, Stacey, is that once the market is highly consolidated, these players might collude to prevent any new entrants. That will be a big concern. It's completely captured market, and then they may 
also influence the regulatory process so that the new the small players have no chance at all. Well, along those lines, let me ask you this, Dr. Bai. What happens if everyone uses Amazon for, for drugs. drugs? Yeah, so we, we just kind of went through the thought experiment. What happens mm-hmm. if everyone uses GoodRx? And obviously right. you've got three PBMs, the big three PBMs who are super not happy about that, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just do a different thought experiment. What happens if everybody uses Amazon? That's a great question. If everybody uses Amazon, that really depends on whether Amazon is using its enormous power to capture the regulatory and legislative process. If they do not do that, then I think the market is still open. Let's consider how Tesla became such a superpower. Before Tesla came, the market looks pretty captured by the large players, right, the big three. But Tesla was still able to capture market in a very, very fast speed. Why? Because there is still space for Tesla to provide the best value product that cater to a large number of customers' needs. The same idea is for Amazon. If Amazon there, you know, they do terrible things. They do not bring the lowest price and the highest value to patients. That will leave a door wide open for competitors, even very, very small, to enter and disrupt the market. But the worst case would be Amazon uses power to, in quotes, bribe the legislative process and the government officials saying, look, if you don't get approval from the government, no entrance is possible. That will be a big problem for consumers. When I was in school, I wrote a thesis and the thesis was economic power is political power. And I think that's, that's yes. kind of what you're, you're saying. And I wrote 40 pages to prove it. <laughs> Thank you, Stacey. (laughs) Yeah, if I may add, you know, think about the hospital market. Many large, powerful hospitals are capturing their local regulatory process. So they have all kinds of, you know, certificate of need law or other kind of barriers so that small competitors cannot enter. That is already a fact in many places in the United States. And I do not have a reason to believe that the pharmacy space won't be very different. But now, luckily, you know, we have GoodX or, you know, online pharmacy, um, Amazon Pharmacy, they can play some kind of disruptive force to prevent that from happening. So kind of continuing the theme on Amazon, as you said, Amazon's claims, their pharmacy claims are currently adjudicated by a division of Express Scripts. If everybody's using Amazon, or even if lots of people start using Amazon, just given this deal that Amazon has with ESI, what do Optum and CVS do? I think they will start using discount card, just like ESI has been doing. will try to protect their patients or beneficiaries from migrating to alternative programs without using the insurance plan. If everybody does that, though, effectively what they're doing is falling into the case study that you talked about originally. Like if they all get their own discount cards, then basically instead of one card, GoodRx, everybody's got three cards, but they're all competing against each other just the same. I think that would be a great thing because that will actually benefit the patients because patients always get the lowest out-of-pocket cost. And that will also benefit the payers as well because payers will pay a lower premium as many claims are happening without using the insurance. 
basically will have more and more patients become informed payers. And this is a huge sea change from the current third-party payment system. So when you say payers in this context, you sort of mean purchasers. You don't mean necessarily a, a carrier, which is part of the PBM as it stands right now. That's correct. These new models squeeze all third-party payers. The patients become both the consumers of the drugs as well as the payer, 100% the payers for the drugs. So the more that patients start figuring out that they don't have to go through their insurance in this case. I mean, here's another point that I'm seeing come up more and more. I've had several conversations, and this is super anecdotal, but sometimes anecdotes are uh, a signal of a larger trend, where... Mm -hmm. The PBM created some giant prior auth. So it wasn't even that it was a question of money. Like in order for a patient to get the drug that they needed, which was a generic, they had to go through some crazy <laughs> prior auth process. And I said to a couple of friends, why are you using, you know, the prices are the same. Just don't go through your insurance and you can skip the whole prior auth thing. That's like, such a great point, Stacey. That's a great point. That is one of the reasons patients are foregoing their insurance to use GoodRx. It's not just about the dollar amount, but it's also about all the hassle they have to go through following the benefit design, the pre-authorization, other utility control mechanisms. It almost sounds like we have a predestined trend that if consumers really become consumers in this drug area at least, that if that 33% of patients who are aware of GoodRx starts creeping higher and higher, the more that that happens, the more the PBMs, you know, they're going to try to compete by creating their own discount cards. But even if they do that, it's an inevitable trend. They start making less money off of, of the generic spread. Because as, as if consumers start shopping here, unless they collude and they all agree that they're not going to cater to the needs of the consumers in order to preserve their market share, which would be illegal and you would hope that they would get in trouble. Yeah, that's such a great point, Stacey. Yes, I totally agree with you. We are actually witnessing a potentially sea change. The insured, are be, uh, insured patients are becoming empowered and they want to be the payers themselves and actively shop around to find the best deal for them. It's almost like my healthcare or my drugs, my choice cannot do. I don't want to be subject to any pre-authorization put there by my insurance company. I want to pay out of pocket to get the drug I want. Okay, so wrinkle. Mark Cuban's the cost plus pharmacy. And, you know, nothing for nothing, but there are other pharmacies that have operated across the country for a number of years. Like I'm thinking about Blueberry and Pittsburgh that are effectively cost plus pharmacies. I know Mark Cuban wants to also manufacture drugs, which is a little bit of a added layer there. But how do these cost plus pharmacies across the country factor in here? Do they change the calculus that we just talked about in any way? These cost plus pharmacies bring a positive force into the arena. We have more players. We have more competition. That is great news for patients and the payers. However, that might not be good news for the incumbent. Do you feel like they accelerate the trend? Is that 100%. Right? Yeah, 100%. The fact that these cost plus pharmacies are emerging indicates that they have seen great opportunities in this cash pay space. As you mentioned earlier, we have a latent, we have potentially many, many patients 
now they can realize how much money they can save to go to cash pay, and that fact enticed new entrants come into play, and that create a positive cycle, meaning more competition, more innovation, and lower price for patients. What we've just discussed here is probably nothing that all the PBMs haven't war roomed. Right, like if you're going to say something positive yeah. about PBMs, it's they are really smart and they constantly have pilots going across the country so that mm-hmm. as soon as a, stre- a trend starts to accelerate, they are on it, like in T minus 15 seconds. If you were a PBM or if you're trying to think like a PBM, what do you think that they're doing right now? They must see this coming. So you see PBMs getting involved in all kinds of business models. You know, some of them are delivering care. They're doing all kinds of stuff. They're getting more involved in the insurance angle as obviously one hedge. But all three of them, if you listen to their earnings report, there is a significant amount of the dollars that are being sent to shareholders that come from their core PBM operations at this time. What are they thinking right now? Do you know of any experiments that they're running? Are they just okay to, you know, forego this this whole, they're like, well, it's good while it's lasted. We got to find a new mm-hmm. core business. Like, what do you think is going on over there right now? On the surface, it seems like the ESI and other major PBMs are losing business to good acts. But in reality, they are fiercely competing among themselves to grab a business from the platform offered by good acts and others. Because eventually, every single claim going through GoodX has to be adjudicated by a PBM. And the PBMs have to provide the lowest price to grab the business from the GoodX consumer. So that's how the ESIs and others are making money. That is to compete both on the GoodX platform as well as on the traditional insurance-based platform. But no matter what, they're making less money there. So shareholders are, are probably asking right now, well, how are you going to make up the revenue shortfall then? Like you, you're going to have a profit shortfall coming up here. What are you going to do about it? I do think that is inevitable given the transformation of the market. PBMs have to give slice of their profit back to consumers. That's just reality. Remember, the ESS hedging, right, by using their own in-house discount card, as we mentioned earlier, try to counteract the situation they see the patients are migrating to good acts. But remember, if the deal is not good enough on their Amazon discount card, the beneficiaries will still migrate to good acts. So that is a pretty severe situation. They have to deliver low price. So either hedge, in my opinion, won't restore ESS's original very monopolistic position. So in the generic space, I really don't think much can be done from the PBM side to generate a higher margin. So are they going to then double down on the brand side and all of a sudden the rebating game becomes even more of a thing? You know, we also have political wins in that direction. Are they able to then play any sort of arbitrage relative to care delivery and everybody standing up a Medicare Advantage plan? You know, like where do you see them turning their attention? If you have any thoughts on this and you, you might not, I'm just curious. I think they probably will try to make two things happen. The first one, they probably will try to change the benefit design in their traditional business to lower the out-of-pocket costs or to remove the out-of-pocket costs for generic drugs altogether so that they can keep the beneficiaries in-house. 
right? If we don't pay out of pocket, then we don't even think about using good acts to buy the drugs. You know, this may look good on the surface, but eventually it will actually hurt the beneficiaries, right? Because they don't pay out of pocket now, but in reality, they will have to pay higher premium. And the payers understand that. So I don't think this approach might work eventually. Well, it will work as long as the plan sponsors are totally naive or ignorant yeah. or don't bother to pay any attention to, to what's going on. Because from a short term, as a short term play, it's, it's fabulous. <laughs> I agree with you, Stacey. Yeah. Naive plan sponsors are a big problem. They don't understand dynamics, then they might just focus on short-term, the complaint or short-term gains. So if the PBMs succeed in that direction, then their profit margin will still be there. The second thing I think might happen to counter the potential loss to their potential cut to their margin would be the PBMs will compete very hard with other PBMs on the platforms offered by, by GoodRx. So eventually they reach equilibrium in their fight with the discount card companies. So the PBMs on the surface or behind the scene, they split the generic drug market you know, through constant and fierce competition. The pharmacy also are in a price war, right? The pharmacy, they have to give the best value to the patients going through the GoodRx. So everybody's in price war. This will actually benefit patients because they get the lowest out-of-pocket cost. And it will also benefit the payers, right, through a lower premium because the claims happening out without insurance. For the past, what, 50 years, patients in this country, people, have gotten out of the habit of feeling like consumers for anything that has anything to do with healthcare. And you wonder whether this whole generic drug thing the switch flicks in people's heads that, hey, like all, all the rules apply to healthcare as far as me being a consumer as, as in every other aspect. And this is especially possible with generic drugs. As promoted John said in a recent interview, you know, drugs are a packaged technology. So you can yeah. comparison shop. And the second mm -hmm. that consumers start acting like consumers, I don't know, you, you wonder whether that initiates kind of a cascade of, of dominoes in a, in a bunch of different directions. I totally agree. What about the pricier generics? So, you know, some generics are three bucks. Other generics are 300 bucks. Or I'm not sure if I want to open up the biosimilar can of worms, but there are, in fact, drugs that are off patent, which is what generic means, that maybe they're single source, for example. And they're still really expensive, like the whole Martin Shkreli thing. You know, he was charging mm -hmm. 5,000 something bucks for a generic that had been, you know, a drug that had been out on the market for 50 years. Why? Because he could. If you're a single source generic, it's kind of like being a, having a patent, right? Like you're the only game in town, so people have to buy it at whatever price you choose to sell it for. How does that intersect with anything that we're, we're talking about here? For those very expensive generics, the out-of-pocket cost when insurance is being used would be lower than GoodRx price. Why? Because the deductible probably will be met and the insurance coverage would kick in. Then we let the insurance do exactly what the insurance is supposed to do, cover catastrophic, expensive healthcare expenditures. Dr. Bai, is there anything that I neglected to ask you that you want to add? I think more and more Americans are realizing that it might bring them more value when they control their healthcare. 
they are becoming fiercely independent and trying to find non-conventional ways to improve their health and save their money. So I think this GoodX event and the resultant change in the drug space will not be confined only to drugs. It will eventually have a profound implication on our healthcare payment arrangement. If someone is interested in learning more about your work, where would you direct them? My website, Johns Hopkins University, and also my LinkedIn page. I would definitely recommend following Dr. G. Bai on LinkedIn. Dr. G. Bai, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. Thank you, Stacey. My pleasure. So let's talk about going over to our website and typing your email address in the box to get the weekly email about the show that has come out. Sometimes people don't do that because they have subscribed on iTunes or Spotify and or were friends on LinkedIn. What you get in that email is a full and unredacted, unedited version of the whole introduction of the show transcribed. There's also show notes with timestamps. So you get everything that you need to decide if you want to listen or not, just apprising you of the options that are available. Thanks so much for listening.